Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year? Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode three hundred and eighty-eight, coming to you on Thursday, November fifth. It is game week, and we are finally previewing a football game in the year twenty twenty. It is USC and Arizona State, the Trojans and Sun Devils locking horns at the Coliseum. 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. We can't wait for it. We can't wait to get into it in this episode. We're going to get to know the Sun Devils a little bit more by talking to Evan Desai from ASU's Cronkite School of Journalism and talking about this game with some over-unders in addition to another huge mailbag. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Omni. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com, slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Troy at fansire.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, Second Woodsburn Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, journal with my co-host, here in the Reign of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Alisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alisa. It is game week, game week, game week, game week. 48 hours from the time many people are listening to this on their way to work, USC and Arizona State will be playing football at the Coliseum. How excited are you? I'm pretty excited, although I just realized that a USC football game will be going on the same time as a Liverpool game. And that is going to be a fascinating uh, example of potential transference if you if you don't know I on on Twitter I I want I, some real time transference. I mean that's what I'm saying. There could be some real time transference uh, between you know Liverpool doing well tends to mean USC does poorly. USC do, doing well tends to mean Liverpool does poorly. So could be a very fascinating Saturday with the Liverpool USC game starting at eight at uh, nine and the sorry the Liverpool Manchester City game starting at nine at eight thirty. I am struggle busting over here. 
and USC kicking off at nine. So this will be interesting. Speaking of interesting, have you seen the weather forecast I, for Saturday? I am livid, Michael. I am livid because there is a decent chance that you and I might end up in an outdoor section of the of the press box for this game. We we don't know yet if we're going to be indoors or outdoors. And I wasn't too worried about that because it's it's California in November. It'll probably be okay. And then the forecast showed up. According to weather.com, there's a 50% chance of precipitation. It says considerable cloudiness with occasional rain showers, high of 59, winds out of the west at 10 to 20 miles per hour, chance of rain 50%. I just, I'm... I uh, the the first game of a USC season being in the rain feels like it's wrong. Like feels like the universe is just having a laugh because it. How? Yeah, I, I I'm not expecting this to actually rain. There's a fifty percent chance it won't rain. You know, like <laughs> I like that glass half full like, perspective. You, this is not an F1 podcast. We don't talk about F1 on this podcast. However. What have we learned from F1 this year? Do not trust weather reports. Yes. Those clouds off in the distance can look very dark and and, and they're, that they're looming. And you may be even able to see the rain coming down from them just over that hill. But it will not hit the track because that's the way it works. Exactly. So the Coliseum, I'm calling it now, no rain. No rain. I hope you're right, because I want to see USC's air raid in full force, and I don't want to have to deal with rain myself. I I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Or optimistic me. but Definitely optimistic, Michael. I, I'm, You're glass half full, Michael. I'm waiting for everyone to call into the rant line. 213-373-1872. That is the phone number that you can call during the game, after the game, before the game, whenever. Tell us what you think about what is going on with USC. Tell us your thoughts, and we will put it together in the Fallout episode, which will drop next week. But I am anxiously waiting to hear you guys mad at me when it rains, uh, even though I'm calling it right now that it won't. Well, you will be entirely at fault if it does. All right. All right. All right. Uh, I'll tell you who's not at fault. Uh, The CT guys. Uh, they gave us a review over on Apple Podcasts of five stars. It says, excellent podcast, full of info and fun. Can't wait for your post-game tunnel commentaries from fast food parking lots. Strange season with anything possible. Bit nervous about ASU and, yes, UCLA games. O-line and linebackers really need to break out for the Trojans. I think we all agree. I, I, I definitely agree, and thank you for the review. Uh, but this reminds me, do we need to do some on-air admin, Michael? Are are we car casting purely, or are we cheating the car cast by coming back to the uh, the studio, Sarah Keeley, and recording in uh, in our nice digs? Here? I, I think I think we know the answer. Okay, Sarah Keeley. I mean Sarah Keeley. Yeah. yeah. The, the 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 thing is, uh, with home games especially, um, it's. Do we keep the, the microphones and everything in the studio? Or do we tear them all down just to go into a parking lot um, to avoid a 20-minute drive home? Yeah, uh, and, and as someone who literally just did some cord management and some 
organization of our recording equipment. <laughs> it, it would pain me to have to tear this down, actually. So, ugh. sorry, guys. But this is where I remind people what the car cast is. Yes. The car cast is the conversation you have in the car on the way home. Yes. That's not, conversation is not changing. Which is why, you know, when we drive home from games, we do it in complete silence. We say nothing to each other for fear of, of spoiling the pure reaction of a, of a car cast. Yeah, the sanctity That's of it. 100% true. Yeah, we've never cheated on that. We've never. That's right. But uh, Alicia, we got so much to talk about on this episode. Yeah, I was able to do an interview with Evan Desai of the Cronkite School of Journalism over at ASU, and he's written for SI and a few other places. So he's going to give us the lowdown on the Sun Devils, and it's a really nice primer on USC's first opponent. So we will get to that next. All right, everybody, we have a treat here getting ready to face ASU. Uh, We figured what better way to immerse ourselves in the Sun Devils than to bring on somebody who knows all about the Sun Devils and also, coincidentally, is a is is a USC guy too, who uh is uh, one of our um one of our lovely rock crew f- friends who we get to chat with all the time. And uh it's pretty kinda cool that we have this resource in our Rotbot family who gets ASU uh in a way that uh, certainly I don't or certainly that Michael doesn't. So uh, we have Evan Desai here. He is from allsundevil.com. And welcome to the show, Evan. We're, we're excited to get your input here on uh, on USC's season opening foe. Excited, too. This is actually my favorite podcast. Didn't think I'd ever kind of guest on it, be on it. So this is definitely a big deal for me. <laughs> hey, that's that's always awesome. We love to give people their their first shot at these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, having chatted with you about USC, I know that you're a, a knowledgeable person about the Trojans. And so, you know, why not pick your brain here about about the Sun Devils, who USC fans are going to get to know a little bit better uh, by Saturday. But hopefully we can prepare folks for what they can expect to see from Herm Edwards squad coming up. So the big name, obviously, the first one we got to talk about, just get it right out the window, is Jaden Daniels. He had a really strong freshman campaign. There were many debates online about what who had the stronger freshman campaign, Keaton Slovis or Jaden Daniels, who has the higher ceiling, all of those kinds of things. But he comes into his sophomore season uh, like Keaton Slovis in, in a difficult situation here with the, the long off season. But what are you expecting from him as far as taking the next step in, in his sophomore year? And what do you think are his strengths and weaknesses that USC fans should keep an eye out for, whether the things that USC's defense can take advantage of or the things that he might do to USC's defense because we didn't get to see him last year? Yeah, I mean, as far as, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as his strengths and weaknesses go, strengths are going to be that kind of it factor that we know that he has and that, you know, we saw in, for instance, the Michigan State game where he was trusted to run that final drive, and he was able to do that. The Wazoo game where he put his body on the line to score that game-winning touchdown, and he did that. And, of course, the game everyone saw that game against Oregon where he just shredded that Oregon defense, who was obviously very good last year. And so, you know, we know that he is clutch, even though he hasn't played in too many big games. You know, even the bowl game, that wasn't the biggest bowl game, you know. The Tony the Tiger Sumble. But, um, you know, he. the good thing about Jaden Downs is that he's a dual-threat quarterback, 
situationally, and he's very effective in certain situations. Obviously, you know, I mentioned the Wazoo game, but despite having not necessarily the best 2.8 yards per carry, he's able to situationally find ways to make plays with his legs and with his arm. He made a lot of plays. Again, he's clutch, but, you know, he has a little bit of some accuracy issues. That kind of goes into the weaknesses. Um, Just last season, he had a 17% quarterback fault in completion percentage. Uh, only accurate on 48% of his passes. Now, some might scoff at that and say, oh, well, how could that be true? He had a 60.7% completion percentage. But 60.7 completion percentage is not very good at all. It's actually 70th nationally. So accuracy is definitely something that he needs to kind of work on and really improve. So like you said, take that next step. And um, listening to this pod before, you guys have hit on that accuracy and how, for instance, PFF ranking him as the 63rd best quarterback in the country is a little bit nonsense. He's, his accuracy is not that bad, but it is kind of average to below average. You want to see improvement there. That's going to be what he's going to have to focus on in this new pro style offense from new offensive coordinator, Zach Hill. And, you know, say what you want about USC's defense last year. The DBs always showed up even when they were injured. So I do think that ASU has some skill position talent there, but you know, it could be a tough day for Daniels, a tough kind of opportunity to really get going and kind of jumpstart that adjustment. But he's proven that he can kind of face adversity and do well coming out of that before. So there is a, there is a shot that Jay Daniels could have a really good showing on Saturday. Yeah, it's fascinating you bring up his accuracy numbers because that is definitely the knock on him. It's not a huge surprise, you know, young quarterback still developing his arm. But the, the amazing thing to me is that when I hear that a quarterback is inaccurate, I expect them to be a turnover machine. And yet he made it through last season with only two interceptions. So that that's like stunning to me uh, in many ways that you have the dichotomy of a of an inaccurate or some you know often inaccurate quarterback who manages to protect the football. Uh, is that something you expect to continue forward with him, or was he getting lucky last year? I, mean, I definitely think he'll continue with that. I mean, you know, two point four percent turnover worthy rate. That's fourteenth nationally. It's great. You know, obviously you said two interceptions, which is actually tied for the least in the country. And the thing about Jaden Daniels that makes him so, you know, makes him a guy that doesn't make a lot of key crucial mistakes is because, like I said, situationally, he knows when to slide. He knows when to get out of bounds. He knows when to hit his check downs. And now they're losing some, some big skill position talent over at ASU, you know, losing, you know, Benjamin, losing Brandon Ayuk. However, Jaden Daniels has always been a good decision maker all through last season. He has good poise. I do expect that kind of, you know, the very, not a very turnover prone guy to stay very kind of not necessarily safe with the ball, but a guy that's not going to make those mistakes, turn the ball over and, you know, put the ball in the Trojans hands or anybody in the Pac-12 South. Well, and winning the turnover battle is is half of the battle uh, in a lot of these games, especially a season opener where sloppiness can absolutely kill you. Uh, But, you know, the quarterback does need people to throw to. He does need people to hand off to. And ASU, I mean... They've they've lost a lot of dudes. Uh, you talked about Eno Benjamin, Brandon Ayuk, who's absolutely tearing it up in the NFL right now, and they're they need to find some some new weapons for him to utilize. Who are the guys that you're looking out for on offense that you think that uh, can step up into those roles, uh, or that ASU needs to step up into those roles? So it's actually funny. The guy that I was looking looking forward to seeing was Elijah Badger who's now uh, academically ineligible, won't be playing this season. And so he was one of those four-star guys that ASU was able to get. 
And he was a guy that could kind of do it all. He even possibly could play defensive back. And he's really good as a receiver, really good as a returner in his high school career in California. And so right now the depth chart is saying that it's obviously going to be Frank Darby as that number one guy, you know, deep threat from last year. He's returning that fifth year. They're expecting a big year from him. But what's interesting is that Ricky Pearsall, who's a three-star, was also listed at the top of the depth chart. And there are two four-stars that are still on this roster that are actually behind him then on the depth chart. That's Chad Johnson Jr. and L.V. Bunkley Shelton, who were very good recruits that ASU was able to get in the 20 class. And Johnny Wilson is listed as well as a starter on the depth chart. He's another four-star guy. He's actually 6'6", so I'm excited to see him play. <laughs> so Johnny Wilson, someone to keep an eye on. Keep an eye on the depth. If Pearsall doesn't work out, look for Chad Johnson Jr. You know, Chad Johnson's son. It's a little bit easy to remember. <laughs> um, and then L.V. Bunkley Shelton, who is also kind of a top-notch recruit. And as far as a running back position, so ASU was able to get some good running backs as far as recruiting goes as well. Able to get uh, Daniel Ngata. They're able to get um, Traynum and Diamante Traynum. And what's interesting is they got another guy who was actually a three-star, but he was one of the best junior college running backs that they could get named Rashad White. And he's actually listed at the top of the depth chart. However, they're, they're expected to use Traynum as well as Ngata in the running game as well. So, you know, it's hard to replace Eno no matter what. All these guys are inexperienced. Every single receiver or running back I just named other than Darby is inexperienced. So, I mean, if Todd Orlando really shows up and does what he can do and what we have seen him do, it could be a long day for you for ASU. However, these guys do have talent. They could get it done. And it's a situation where maybe if Jaden Daniels really is this elite quarterback that pe some people expect him to be this year, you know, he can maybe lift them up and kind of get something going on offense. Correct me if I'm wrong, wrong but uh, is Prentice Gill the wide receivers coach for ASU? Yeah. So uh, if USC fans don't recognize that name, he got his, his career started out as a as an assistant to, at USC. Well, as a, um, uh, I think they, it was like a quality control analyst or something like that. So he's a, a familiar guy. So a lot of that, you know, probably will be a reflection of how well are these guys getting coached? How how well have they uh, established the, the, the foundation that they need uh, coming into this weird, weird offseason? But uh, let's let's swap over to the defensive side of the ball, which is also a little bit of a mystery. It's gonna be a little bit different. Um, there's a, a scheme change with co-defensive coordinators coming in this year, and uh, that that's one of the underrated things about ASU is they're replacing all of their coordinators, so should be a little bit different of a look. So, what can USC fans expect from this ASU defense that Clay Helton talked about uh, on on Monday? Gave them a little bit of trouble once they settled in last year in, in 2019. But new faces, new names, both at playing staff and, and in the coaching staff, what are you looking for from them? So what you certainly can look for is it's going to be mostly a four-man front, which these last two years under Danny Gonzalez, it was a 3-3-5. And now USC, or excuse me, ASU was supposed to run a 3-3-5 this year. They hired Tony White to be their DC. He ended up taking the job at Syracuse. So they're going with Marvin Lewis. Antonio Pierce as the co-defensive coordinators. And so when you think Marvin Lewis, you're thinking of that 01 Ravens defense. He was a coordinator for that all-time great defense. He carried, you know, to a Super Bowl, to win a Super Bowl. And that was a 4-3. There's going to be a lot of 4-3, I'm expecting, but they've also said they're willing to open that up to a 4-2-5. And what I think is interesting about that 4-2-5 and in the 4-3 in general is that ASU has a position called Tillman, which is obviously named after Pat Tillman, the hybrid linebacker for ASU. And so it's usually that a hybrid linebacker and it still is going to be, 
But the guy that's going to be running, going to be playing Tillman this year is Evan Fields, who was one of the better players on ASU's defense last year. Um, the secondary, in my opinion, was kind of the strong position group for ASU. And he's much more of obviously a safety. So that, that position is going to be changing a little bit. Um, however, you know, there's going to be some three, three, five, they did say, but not, don't really expect a ton of that because that's going to mean there's going to be a lot of zone coverage. And um, Jack Jones came out recently, said there's not going to be too much zone coverage. Um, Jack Jones is actually better in man on the flip side. Chase Lucas, that second corner is much better. Not in man. He's just not, hasn't been the most physical corner. Um, you brought up the game last year. I mean, you know, Michael Pittman, who was hobbled that game, absolutely torched Chase Lucas. And, you know, Isaiah Hodgins earlier in the year really torched Chase Lucas again. He's not consistent enough. So I don't exactly know how much 335 they're going to be doing against USC because part of you would say, oh, they're not going to be able to hang with those, with those receivers. But part of you might say, well, you know, I, they have to trust their corners because Jack Jones and Chase Lucas are their more experienced guys on defense. It's, it's not necessarily the most inexperienced defense, but those are the two guys that will be at the senior bowl and that they're kind of expecting to be the leader of the team. Yeah, I mean that's that's really the the intriguing matchup from a USC perspective, right? Jack Jones, obviously his history with USC, but USC has the wide receivers to to create problems for anybody's secondary. The biggest concern for USC is certainly not what the wide receivers would do; it's how will they protect Keaton Slovis. So ASU is unveiling this new front. Uh, d- in your opinion, do you think it suits uh, the, the the personnel that they have to make that transition from from the uh, three up front to the four? And is there anyone that if if you like close your eyes right now and imagine somebody's going to sack Keaton Slovis or give any of USC's offensive linemen fits, who's that guy? Honestly, unfortunately for ASU fans, I don't really like the switch too much. I like it in the sense that it fits what the coaches are doing. But I'm not sure it fits the personnel because ASU is not very tough up front, in my opinion. Um, they don't really have a ton of talent up there. As far as the linebackers, I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about Merlin Robinson, Robertson this offseason. He's, you know, kind of expected to be one of the guys to step up. But I know that USC fans and just the USC kind of media in general sometimes have a little bit of a tough time trusting that offensive line to protect Slovis. I mean, USC had to go through, what was it, six quarterback changes last year. These guys kept getting hurt. It was a lot. Three guys, you know. And so, you know, I think they had to make this change due to the situation that they were facing with Tony White leaving for Syracuse. And this is kind of what they had to do. However, I think that this scheme is going to be more fitting for ASU's personnel in a couple years if they can kind of recruit that way. But I do think that Herm Edwards is overall a good coach. Um, I know there's a lot of people that don't like that Marvin Lewis never won a playoff game in the NFL. But he does know his stuff. He proved that as a coordinator. Um, he's getting another shot as a coordinator. Antonio Pierce, obviously, is a great recruiter. I think that he can be a good co-DC. And so I'm not too optimistic about really this front seven in general, especially the front four. However, I do think that, like you mentioned, USC's offensive line, I wouldn't necessarily call suspect, especially now they got Elijah Vera Tucker back. But it has had some problems in the past. I just don't know if ASU is going to really be able to exploit those problems. Well, so that interesting, interesting first game matchup then to put an unknown USC offensive line up against a largely uncertain un, or at least transitioning uh, Sun Devil defensive front. This is what we've been saying all offseason. It's going to depend on who who prepared best, right? So that's one thing that ASU may have a leg up on USC over. They did get a spring camp. Well, 
a few practices, certainly more than USC did, of spring camp. And they have been been practicing in Arizona where restrictions on practice have been a little bit uh, less less restrictive. So do you think that that's going to be a factor that comes into play uh, in this uh, th- this game, not just that it's 9 a.m., but that ASU may have had more of a normal lead up to uh, to a season than, than USC has been able to have? I think it could definitely play a role. I don't know that it for sure will because part of me just says to stop overthinking it and just accept that USC is way better on paper. <laughs> and, um, actually, didn't Elijah Griffin say they have the best defense in the country? He he said that he – I think he thinks that they will be. But, right. <laughs> I mean, guys think a lot of things at this stage of the year. so Yeah, um, but, you know – I mean, they have the potential to have a good defense, you know, obviously a great defense. If Todd Orlando really is the guy, which he very well could be. Um, I think that having the early spring camp and having that preparation that none of the California teams actually were able to have is going to be crucial for ASU this season because they're replacing both coordinators and up kind of having to replace defense coordinators twice with Tony White leaving. Um, you know, and the offense is new. The offense is a pro-style offense under Zach Hill. And um, I interviewed him a couple months ago. He says it's going great. He loves it. Again, certain people say certain things, but he seems to be yeah. confident at least. Um, he likes the personnel. Um, I don't exactly know what is in store for the tight end position for ASU. That's kind of the only position for ASU football that's kind of been historically relevant with Brian Jennings and Todd Heap, Zach Miller. They haven't had much tight end production lately. And so – I think maybe there are some certain areas that they were able to work on more than certain other programs weren't able to just because they had that extra preparation. I think that it may not be the biggest deciding factor because they still weren't able to have a very normal offseason, of course. However, I do think that definitely helped ASU kind of get more comfortable. And, you know, while while I do expect uh, USC to win the game, that's the biggest reason, I think, why ASU has a shot because they're so – this season's been so weird – this is without a doubt the weirdest college football season I've seen so far. And I mean, when things go weird, I don't want to sound like some Helton hate or anything, but he's not necessarily the most consistent coach in my mind. He kind of picks and chooses when he wants to look prepared and when he doesn't, it, it's just kind of odd. I understand Herm's not the most proven guy at the college level, but I think that as far as discipline and leadership, he's the guy. So I think ASU does have an advantage there. I think that that's kind of why. They're in it. I know they're 11-point dogs, but I think that they are kind of in it. I think people are seeing them as kind of a dark horse for the season and a sleeper for this week one game. I mean, you brought up the the line. I was about to bring it up. It's a ten, ten, I've seen 10, 10.5, 11. Feels big. Does it feel big to you? Too too big? Oh, uh, It feels good or it feels big. I I was predicting a 32 to 24 point, 24 game, actually. So that was an eight-point game. So you would think, like, oh, that's not too much different from mine. But, I mean, I guess eight points is still one score. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't have it at 10 and a half or whatever it's at right now. It's somewhere between 10 and 11. I wouldn't have it there. But, I mean, again, this is exactly what, you know, the analytics don't like ASU. They don't. And that's kind of valid in, in some cases. Um, and because, like I said, you know, the advanced stats for even their best player last year or best player coming into this year, Jaden Daniels weren't any good. And it's, you know, the projections from, I mean, like ESPN, for instance, PFF, stuff like that in general, the analytics, like I said, are much more in favor of USC because of the talent that they know that USC is returning. Uh, ASU is not in a Utah situation where, like you always say, they're returning nobody. 
but they are returning, you know, nobody on offense really. Yeah. Um, you know, three new offensive linemen. I mean, you know, I, I think that I would not have it, like I said, at 10, 10 and a half, 11, whatever it's been. But, you know, I, I can't argue with it because it is very possible that, you know, Todd Orlando, I can tell you right now, Orlando's going to be better than Pendergast. And it is very possible that that defense really comes out firing. And the offense is already really, really good as it is. And they still have so much more potential, which is the crazy thing with Slovis and Harold coming in to this second year and, you know, getting Brew McCoy, who some people seem to forget about a little bit. I think it's because it's the weird off season. Um, and, you know, people are just upset that Cal Ford got hurt and that's understandable. And I mean, but this receiving core is amazing. Drake London's pretty much a receiver at this point as well. So that's obviously huge as well. And I mean, they're going to get three guys. I don't think people realize that USC was down three backs last year when they played ASU. Uh, they were down. Obviously, they had Keaton Slovis playing. He ended up getting hurt. So I understand Jaden Daniels got hurt last year, but USC still won in Tempe with a hobbled Pittman, multiple key injuries on defense, three backs down. Keaton Slovis leaves the game. I mean, you know, USC had so many injuries last year. They still got it done. It, it's hard to necessarily get upset or anything at a at a ten and a half point uh, advantage for you for USC. All right, and and last thing, just on a on a bigger scale uh, thing, where do, where do you think ASU is going to finish in in the South? What what kind of record do you think they're looking at? Um, I haven't really looked at their slate in particular, but have things laid out for them in any similar way to the way that USC looks like, well, they can run the table here. The funny thing is, is that, so this week one, obviously we know is huge, but it's even bigger because their Utah game is going to be at home. So that that's obviously going to be an advantage for ASU. And we all obviously know Utah is not returning much talent at all. Um, Cal Whittingham's good coach. She can maybe figure that out. But, um, you know, ASU set up to where their two, two of their three toughest games, which is Cal and Utah, um, are going to be at home. So that's going to be huge, I think. Um, some people just like ASU over Cal like by a lot in general. I think being at home will help out. And so, you know, I, I don't think they'll win week one, so that's already one loss on the table. I do think that they are on paper better than Utah. However, you know, crazy things happen. I mean, last year's game against Utah was horrible for ASU. I don't think it could have been worse. Um, so I think what could happen for ASU that would be very frustrating around Tempe is that they could go five and one with that one loss against USC. But let's say USC loses, or excuse me, they lose to Utah, let's say. That's still five one. They have a tiebreaker. And let's say Utah drops another game or whatever, because a lot of people don't like Utah this year. Some people do, some people don't. Then it's going to look like, you know, USC is going to take that division while ASU maybe had a good season and maybe is, you know, maybe in the top 20 in the country. So I think a lot depends on what the Pac-12 is going to look like as a whole this year. We've seen so many crazy things happening um, in the ACC, obviously. Some people say not so much because, obviously, Clemson's kind of up there. But Notre Dame kind of looks like they could possibly – I don't think it'll happen, but they could possibly compete with Clemson this weekend without Trevor Lawrence. And then the Big 12, I don't, I don't even know how to explain that. <laughs> I'm giving up on that. The Big 12 the Big doesn't 10, know how to explain itself either. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Oh, the Big Ten, some people, again, say, oh, ASU is just, or excuse me, OSU is just that team, and they're staying that team. But I think a lot of crazy things happen in the Big Ten. You know, obviously Penn State dropping two straight to start the season. Obviously Rutgers getting that first Big Ten win since 2017. Indiana playing really well right now. So there's been so much craziness in college football, it's hard to predict. I think ASU, though, to really answer your question, is looking at four and two or five and one. And I just think, I mean, USC absolutely should 
end up winning this division. They do have some injuries, but I don't think it's anywhere near as much as last year. Uh, the linebackers are a little bit of a concern with the injuries, but they still have they still had some depth to start. So maybe that could kind of they kind of work that out. And but I mean, just getting getting the running backs back. I know Marquise Step is hurt right now, but you know he's going to be back eventually, 100 percent and all. I mean, even with the lack of receiver depth, they're just so top, so good at the top of that depth chart. It's really hard to count USC out in this division. I think they take it. Yeah, well, uh, certainly the listeners of this show are hoping you are right on that. Uh, we'll see. As as you mentioned, it's been a weird season, and the the weirder it's gotten in college football, the more concerned I've gotten about how confident I am that USC is going to go six and zero. Because I think the more confident anybody is about anything this year, the more likely things are to go sideways. So we'll yep. see if that benefits USC. We'll see if that benefits ASU. But thank you so much, uh, Evan, for coming on. Uh, check out his stuff. He's uh, he's pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, We'll see. You're going to have an interesting Saturday uh, as yeah. far as how you process that game. So we'll check in with you after uh, after to see how you're how you're processing. But uh, hopefully we're having a, a rave line or something like that over on on Rena Troy. So uh, thanks again. And, and uh, we'll get back to the show. Thank you for everything. So we're back to talk about USC and Arizona State here on of Troy Radio, the game preview episode. The Sun Devils, you know, 8-5 and five last year. They ranked 45th in S&P Plus last year. This year they're at 38th. The Trojans, of course, won last year's game 31-26. Uh, a wild one, a game that Jaden Daniels did not play. We didn't find that out until the very end, uh, right before the, the game happened, essentially. Uh, the Trojans jumped out to a 28-3 lead. Keaton Slovis threw 297 passing yards in the first quarter, and the Trojans held on for dear life. Um, Slovis came out for a big part of the second half. Matt Fink had to come in. The offense really struggled, only managed a field goal in the second half, but sealed it with an interception on a fluky, crazy tip ball drill play, whatever you want to call it, from uh, Christian Rector. Uh, and won the game 31-26. to 26. Um, Alicia, what would you say is the case for SC to win this game? When you, you heard everything that Evan had to say. We've talked about this game in the game preview. What is, what is USC's case to win? I, I think that USC just has a better team than ASU on paper. And they have who I think is the better quarterback. Uh, they, they have more playmakers at wide receiver. Um, they have, at least they have their offensive coordinator coming back, a high-powered offense that was very successful last year that that is returning pretty much all of the key figures uh, with, with the lone exception of Michael Pittman. And that that kind of firepower should be a really difficult task for ASU's new defense, new defensive coordinator, uh, well, the defensive coordinators, as we talked about, to to handle, especially in this first week where, you know, we saw from the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 and all the other conferences that have that have played so far is that can be very sloppy, particularly on defense early in the season. And, and I think that ASU has the disadvantage of going up against the more higher, the more highly powered offense that USC will throw at them. I think that's got to be the biggest reason 
that USC is is the favorite that they are in this game. Yeah, I really want to see what the offense uh, of the Trojans can do against this ASU defense. When we talked about it in the in the preview, like in the season preview, ASU has so many good players on defense. You look at Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, Ashari Crosswell, uh, Jack Jones. Right, there's talent there. There's blue chip talent. There's playmakers that you know can make big plays and and can really have big impacts. At the same time, they're moving to this four three. With, with Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce, and I just don't get it. Like, I really, really, really do not get it. Um, it seems like they're moving to the 4-3 at a time when the 4-3 is really being, you know, outlawed in college football because it's a, a defunct, archaic uh, defensive scheme. Uh, there's a reason that Alabama doesn't run the 4-3 anymore. There's a reason that LSU went away from the 4-3 um, you know, under Aranda. And there's a reason that LSU is struggling this year with the 4-3 with Bro Pelini. Like, I don't understand going to, uh, bringing in defensive coordinators who have not been part of the college football game um, in a long, long, long time. And we saw it with LSU with Bro Pelini after a decade. Uh, he's now LSU's defensive coordinator. He hasn't been. A, I don't think he's actually been a defensive coordinator at the, at the FBS level in like 15 years, right? No, oh, yeah, because he was a head, head coach, coach at more Nebraska. recently, yeah. Right. So, or uh, maybe it was 10 years, whatever it was. It was a long time, right? Long, long time. And you look at Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis, I think, is. I have nothing against him as a football coach, right? Um, you know that he had success in the NFL, at least winning division titles. That's not easy. As much as people criticized him for being, you know, a run-of-the-mill coach, he was around for a long time for a reason, right? But this is 2020. College football is a completely different game than the NFL was in 2006. And I don't know that the 4-3 can translate to stopping an air raid, especially when you look at the teams that were able to stop USC's air raid last year. Teams like Washington, who would drop eight. Teams like BYU, who had that three-man front and really got a lot of push-up front and also dropped eight, right? Like, Iowa was one of one of the best defenses USC played last year, really had strong defensive ends, and, you know, really put a lot of pressure up front on their defensive line, and SC still carved them up. Like, I don't understand the move to the 4-3 at all, and to me, this matchup, on Saturday morning is all about USC winning this battle. I think there's too many playmakers on offense for USC to be covered up in a 4-3, especially when you want to spread them out wide using three, four wide receivers. I, This is, to me, if you're, if you're not going to be in a nickel, you're not going to stop this offense. Yeah, well, and, and that's the unfortunate thing for ASU is they won't even ha- have had time to trial and error some of the 4-3 the uh, concepts that they're going to be out there with because this is the first outing. So Marvin Lewis's first game in the college uh, at the college level is going to be up against Graham Harrell's offense and uh, a quarterback like Keaton Slovis, who is potentially a Heisman ca- contender, and the many many athletes that USC has available to them at wide receiver and and also at, at running back and and in other skill positions on offense. It just the matchup doesn't seem uh you know doesn't seem favorable to ASU the only equalizing force there might be 
if Marvin Lewis was able to spend his entire offseason looking at the film of USC last year right. and figuring out the, the key to shutting down uh, Harold's setup, that's the, you know, the, that would be the worry is if Marvin Lewis can pull off that miracle. The other thing is, you know, ASU didn't know that SC was going to be the first game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until, you know, a month ago, right? Like this was, this wasn't always the opener. Um, the other thing is, to to give ASU some credit here or some leeway, we don't know what this four three is going to look like. Is it going to be a four three where they're in there, they're in the four three on every single down and have a four four man front on every single down? Maybe maybe not. Maybe it flexes to a four two five. Maybe they they pull off a lineman and, and slide into nickel uh, on passing downs or what have you. That flexibility I think can give ASU some some actual help here um, and. Really, like I said before, they have the playmakers. And I think that's, to me, if I'm an ASU fan, why I think I'm the most frustrated about a move to the 4-3 is that you have the playmakers that don't necessarily fit a 4-3, but that are more than capable of making a lot of good plays and being a good defense. Well, see, and, and that's the interesting thing is is the secondary is probably their strength between Jack Jones and, and Chase Lucas, who are good corners and they've got a Shari Crosswell at, at safety and Evan Fields at safety. Both guys have, have gotten the job done for ASU. So they have a secondary that could con- potentially contend with USC, but those four guys aren't going to be enough to shut down USC's uh, playmakers. And as, as I was talking to, to Evan about, you know, the, the, the front seven, I guess it's not the front seven because Marlon Robinson and, and Darren Butler are, are quite good, but, the defensive front, there's really not a lot there that jumps out to you as far as like these are the the supreme talents that can uh, cause USC problems. Now USC's offensive line can cause itself problems, and that'll be something that right. we're obviously going to be looking out for. But uh, that 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 front certainly doesn't look like it's built to do to USC what, for instance, Oregon did to USC last year, where they had the speed rushers off the edge and just you know, rattled Keaton Slovis into throwing a bunch of interceptions. Yeah, the the other thing is, you know, like we mentioned before, this is week one in a year that's been affected by COVID. So as much as we talk about these things, um, they can become a mute point real, real quick. Um, Everything can go out the window. Penn State was supposed to be in Indiana, and then they lose, right? Like, these are the things that can just completely turn everything upside down. So ASU has had more preparation. So they're breaking in this new defense. USC is breaking in a new de- defense. That more preparation could end up be, be being beneficial. It's just all going to be a matter of what, how much of the game is decided by the talent, how much of it is divided by the scheme, how much of it is divided by the preparation. And in a year in which COVID is so prevalent, that understanding that the, the ratio of those things is really hard to understand. Uh, in, in terms of predictions. So it's, I think it's easy to sit here and say on paper SC should win this game. Um, but there's always those little wacky things that have happened in 2020. Uh, on the flip side of the ball, for me, ASU has to replace so much talent on offense um, that I'm not sure they'd be able to hang with SC if there is a shootout. If this is a high-scoring game, if, if SC can get into the high 30s and the 40s, I don't know that ASU can... can 
can stay with them. This was an offense that ranked in the 90s last year in total offense. They were 115th in rushing. Uh, that wouldn't matter if you were a high-performing uh, passing team, but they weren't last year. Jane Daniels is very efficient, but not like overly productive because the the offense wasn't this you know 45 point you know juggernaut. They were just a well-oiled, efficient, slow plotting machine. Now they get Zach Hill in here to kind of uh, change things up with a little bit of a spread, and I'm really fascinated to see what that looks like. I don't know that it's going to be ready in week one like we talked about in the season preview. And that's where USC has uh, gets a break here, facing a, an offense that is installing a new system, a, a new offensive coordinator, losing so many talented guys. USC has their own concerns on defense, certainly. A ton of concerns. Yeah. But you'd rather be playing this ASU offense in week one than, say, in week six when they've had a chance to figure out well, who are their new go-to guys at wide receiver? Who are their running backs? And th- this is something that, that USC can ease into their defense a little bit. It, it, obviously, you wouldn't want to be playing Jaden Daniels as the first quarterback that you see, but we also know that, that, that this offense was somewhat limited last year, and USC has a chance to go out there and be aggressive and keep things in front of them and just take care of business because, like you said, the USC doesn't necessarily need to hold Arizona State to under 20 points. Like, I would very much prefer that they do that. But this is a game where I can imagine USC giving up 30 points to Arizona State and still being well ahead, just given the nature right. of the matchup on the other side. So there's there's some breathing room there for the defense, hopefully. Yep. Last thing we get to before we get to over-under, uh, some injury updates. Uh, Alicia, what do you got? Yeah, so Marquis Step has turf toe, which is scary to painful, say. Yeah. Well, turf toe is a painful injury. It's basically a big toe sprain, and it it affects the whole sort of front foot, and is very painful. And it's you know you you hear guys get turf toe, and the recovery from turf toe is you know like three to four weeks, but it's usually the kind of thing that it's a, nags. It's a naggy thing. Yeah. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, Trey Madden was out for pretty much a whole season with turf toe. Uh, he wouldn't be the first USC running back that it, that had been dogged by turf, turf toe. So hopefully, it's a more minor kind of thing. When you see the word turf toe or hear the word turf, what, what do you picture in your head? Uh, a, a toe that's bending. On turf. I, no, I picture a toe that's like all green like turf. Oh, well, that would be pretty gross, too. That <laughs> I'm sure that would be a problem that USC's medical staff would have I'm to sure address be, as yeah. well. Uh, but either way, USC has said that he's, he's ready to play. Clay Helton said that he will be available to play on Saturday. The question really is how, how much and how effective will he be dealing with that injury on top of coming back from the uh, the sort of ankle foot injury that he was coming back from last year to begin with so uh, that one's something to keep an eye on the good news is that drake jackson has also been dealing with a little bit of an injury uh i think it was a hamstring injury throughout most of camp but that he's managed that well and he is good to go according to todd orlando and uh usc should have him fully ready on on saturday so that's a big big plus for usc's defense having a player like drake jackson out there and, you know, everything else, it just sounds like, granted, it's hard for us to say because we're not seeing practice. We're not seeing who's not practicing. We only have the word of, of Helton and, and all of those, uh, the, the coordinators and such, to reveal to us who is and isn't available. But 
it sounds like USC is is coming out of camp, uh, coming into this game week pretty healthy. The guys who are going to be missing out are the guys that we knew were going to be missing out. The linebackers like, uh, you know, Solomon Tulipupu and Elijah Winston and all those guys, Jordan Isefa, and um, and the rest sound like they will be good to go. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see who's suited up on uh, on Saturday morning. Yes, we will. Uh, that gets us to over under. So let's get to it. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right. It's over under the first of the season. Well, really the second of the season. We have the season long over unders, but the first game week over under. Uh, if you missed our season predictions episode, we have a new format for over under. This is based on a suggestion from a Rotbot Jake who sent us an email last year about this. And we loved it. We thought it'd be great to incorporate this season. Essentially, Alicia and I will be alternating setting the over-unders as we've always done, but we'll also play the role of the house. So if Alicia says over-under 10.5 carries for Vimal Pei, and I say under, she is automatically the over-bet because I've taken the under and I'm betting against her over-under. This will put us competing against each other in every single over-under that isn't a listener submission, which at that point is anyone's game. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, the listener is the house? Yes, which leads us into listener participation. Here we go. Every single week this season, we will be putting out a Google form. There is a link in the show notes right now. There will be a link on Twitter. There will be a link uh, on our Rock Crew Slack. And you can go to that link and fill out your over-under picks. Listeners can make the picks, we'll grade them on Saturday after the game, and we'll track the results throughout the season to see who wins in the over-under each week, along with for the season as a whole. Uh, Season-long and postseason over-unders are going to be worth double, so they'll be worth two points. Over-under picks for a game week in the regular season will be worth one point. The winner gets mentioned on the pot a bunch. Uh, this is all for fun. We're just having a good time with it. Uh, we hope you guys will too. Uh, full disclosure, you will have to have a Gmail account to, to be able to participate. That's our way of ensuring that uh, we only have one entry per person. But yeah, I'm super excited for this. Our, our friend Dave from Orange County has been tracking this on his, uh, his own spreadsheet for the last few seasons. And finally, we have found a way uh, to get everybody involved. So these over-unders are not just me versus Alicia. It's me versus Alicia versus you. You the people. You the robots. Which means that you get to outwit both Michael and I on a weekly basis. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. All right, Alicia, what's your first over-under for USC and ASU? All righty, we're going in early. The the man of the hour that we were just talking about, Marquis Step, is coming off of an injury, picked up another injury. He's going to be available, but USC has other running backs like Stephen Carr, who's gotten good reviews during training camp, uh, like Malapiai, who is also supposed to be coming back from an injury but should be able to go, Keenan Kristen, etc. So my question, my line is carries for Marquis Step, and I have set the over-under at 
five. I hate this line. I hate it so much. Well, do you hate it because it's good? <laughs> no, I hate it because I think he easily gets over if he plays. Well, okay, so I, I think there's a there's a possibility that it could be one of those things where he, they say that he's available and he just doesn't get much run. And at that point, I don't think he gets it. So in other words, I, this this will sound stupid, but he's either going to get it or he won't. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Wow. Breaking news, I know, Michael. I know. Okay. So here's my argument for setting the line at 3.5. So when Step was healthy at the beginning of last season, he was getting three yards, I mean, three carries per game. And then when injuries struck Vi Malapai and Stephen Carr, then he started getting, you know, 10, 12, 13 carries per game before his own injury took him out. So what I'm curious of is a slightly hobbled marquee step. Will he even get what we would term an even slightly full load when you have Stephen Carr potentially available? Well, not potentially available when you have Vimalapai, who should be involved in some of those carries. And we're not even sure how much USC is going to run the ball in the first place. So I put it low, but I did also have to factor in the possibility that he doesn't play at all, uh, which I think is still slightly on the table. And uh, and yeah, 3.5. 3.5, so four carries wins the bet. I'm going to say... I'm going to take the over, but I feel a, a not huge confident lack over? of confidence here. Yeah. Yes. You would put your confidence meter at uh, like a two or a three? It's very low. Yeah. It's very low. Strictly because, like I said, I, I think he gets like six carries or zero. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be like four or three. Yeah. It's, it's going to be either definitely plays and he gets way over this or... It's a situation where they're like, you know what? Uh, let's just ease him in, um, which might mean that he doesn't get the ball at all. See, and I could see him getting a drive, and that drive sure. consisting of two or three carries. Sure. And then they pull him out, and it was like, no, we're we're gonna take it easy on the foot because it's it's ailing. So we'll all see. Right. All right, it's a, it's it's a it's a tough one to start. Uh, my first over under is gonna be fifty nine point nine. Over under fifty nine point nine as a completion percentage for Jaden Daniels. Now, I have so much data here, it's probably overkill. Uh, why is 59.9 important? Because last year, away from Tempe, uh, Jaden Daniels' completion percentage was 54.4. In true road games, it was 55.3. Both of those are well under 59.9. But he was 59.4 in road games if you take out a horrendous performance at Utah that was so bad, it skews the numbers. He was 4 of 18 for 22 yards at Utah. Is that bad? That is real bad. <laughs> real bad. Uh, but Utah was very good on defense, as you know, last year. So you take that out, it bumps up to 59.4, which is nearly qualifies for the over at 59.9. You got to get to 60. Uh, Texas last year, Texas's defense allowed 63.4% uh, completion percentage. They only held three P5 teams under 60% last year. Mind you, one of those, Jalen Hurts of Oklahoma. Hmm. So there's a lot of stuff here. Um, 
uh, is the over-under. Does Jaden Daniels complete 60% of his passes, yes or no? No, so this is tough because in the second half of the season, after that Utah game where he completed 22.2% of his passes, he completed above 60% in, in, what is this, four straight games? And so, like, I was looking at it thinking, yeah, you take the over here because uh, he got better as, as the year went on in terms of his accuracy, and then he turned up against Florida State and completed 42.9% of his yeah, passes. I was so, I was willing to think that the, the Utah game was strictly an anomaly, but the Florida State game happened. Right. So that is definitely a concern. Uh, the thing that is it makes it especially difficult to decide on this one is that it's not the same it's not the same offensive coordinator. So the passes that that Boise State or that that uh, that Is ASU that sorry that ASU was asking uh, Jaden Daniels to complete last year might be different uh, in terms of just the the ease of them and the things that can uh, improve a, a a completion percentage. So like last year, Hank Bachmeyer completed uh, 62.6% of his passes, uh, his backup at, at, Boise State. at Boise State, 62.2%. Yeah. So, you know, that that Boise State offense wasn't wasn't like a an efficiency machine in terms of uh, completing short passes and then getting your, your percentage up above 65. So that's, I, I'm going back and forth on, on whether or not that can be a reflection of, of what we'll see from Jane Daniels. Um, I do think this is the first game back for USC's defense, a new defense that's going to be figuring itself out. So I'm, I, I think I'm going to go with the over on this, just because it's the first game, and just because there's so much uncertainty about what this new offense will look like and what Jaden Daniel will look like with it. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I think that's probably what I do in that situation. Um, I try to put the line. <laughs> a tough spot. But well, yeah. it is a t- it is it, a tough a, spot because I can see him going below sixty. I mean, that's what I talked to Evan about. He his his accuracy has been a problem. If he hasn't fixed that which, over which the offseason, which is because he his you know the his hallmark is how good he was with holding on to the ball. Right, well, seventeen he, touchdowns and only two picks. Well, and he's so he's weirdly efficient while also being inefficient at the most critical <laughs> accuracy thing. Yeah. That was that one definitely stumps stumps everybody. But uh, either way, I would expect a player going into their second year to improve in that front. So I'm gonna go with the over. But I I think it's very possible he gets that under. All right, what's your next one? All right, speaking of uh, trends from last year, this one has to do with Talanoa Hufanga. Nine point five tackles for the Trojan safety. That's very high. Total tackles, I mean, feels very high, but then you consider Hafanga finished last season with 14 against Iowa and 18 against UCLA, which I think was the most for a USC player since Troy Palomalu, which puts him in very good company. In five of the 10 games that he played last year, he had double digit tackles. So we know that Todd Orlando makes great use of his, of the safety that's up in the box, like Talano Hafanga is expected to be. Do we think that will translate to production in terms of pure number of tackles? I have never been more confident. Over. You're going over? Yeah, okay. I, I think that 
this defense, I'm really excited to see what it does for Talanoa Hufanga and how productive he can be. We saw him really productive last season, and part of that was because he got to the edge when the linebackers weren't. Uh, he was able to get, you know, tackle the, the running backs in the second level and the linebackers couldn't get there. He was able to do all those things. I think this year's defense is going to have him a little bit more active, even though Talanoa's claim to fame is him being active, right? Like, this is what he is. So I think he's even more so going to be a presence there and potentially productive uh, in high volume to get a lot of tackles. Also, add in that Jalen Daniels is someone who can run. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Daniels had a few long runs or got into the second level, and who's going to take him down? Talanoa Hufanga. I, 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 there's a reason I set the, that line high, because I do expect Talanoa Hufanga to have a great amount of productivity, but I am uncertain exactly what form that's going to take how many tackles Isaiah Polamau is going to take from him how many sure. how many yeah. more tackles the linebackers because if you if USC is getting more out of their linebackers that's they mean that means they need less out of the safety so i think it is very intriguing but yeah it'll be interesting all right uh my next one is over or under seven and a half penalties for the trojans they averaged 6.9 per game last year and had seven games of 8 plus it's the first game of the season so I I kind of want to go high on this, but I'm ner- I'm nervous. I have to admit I'm I'm kind of nervous about about seven like banking on there being eight penalties. Now USC has done that plenty. But they've also do I do I want to fall into the trap of buying their whole discipline bullcrap that they do every offseason? Uh, no, I'm going over. I'm going over. Yep. So what would you have said if the line was eight and a half? Oh, because I, w- I originally wrote eight and a half and I, then I, I, I marked it down to seven and a half. I think eight and a half is pretty high. I'm, I'm, I probably would have gone under if it was eight and a half because okay. then you need nine penalties. And I think right. the likelihood is it'll be seven or eight. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good pick. I would definitely take the over if I was you. Um, but I couldn't justify putting it at eight and a half. I thought that was just—it's just very high, a yeah, tad bit too high, especially when you look at USC's game average, which was six point nine last year. But it's the first game. Like I've said before on this pod, this game is going to be sloppy. Get ready for it. Uh, and part of it's going to be because of first game jitters. Part of it's going to be because of the long off season that in which there wasn't a lot of participation. So get ready for a super, super, super sloppy game. I don't know how much we'll be able to read into that uh, because of the COVID weirdness, but it's going to be a thing. So get ready for that. Um, What's your last over-under? What do you got? All righty. My last over-under is passing yards for Keaton Slovis. And I set the over-under at 399.5. So will he get to 400? He had 432 last year with four touchdowns in in work that was somewhat limited because of the injury that he picked up. 297 in the first quarter. Yeah. So, and he finished last year on an absolute tear, putting up 400 yards on pretty much everyone USC faced except for Iowa, which again he got injured in. So, it's a high line, but 
the prospect of him having a 400-yard passing day is not all that inconceivable. All right, here's how I look at this. Is SC more likely to throw the ball against this 4-3 defense or run the ball? I think that in general, I think if you're, you're Graham Harrell, you want to establish the run early on in the season when you didn't last year. Um, be, you weren't able to, especially in the second half of the last season. So I think you want to see what you have in the running game. I think you want to test the offensive line. You want to kind of try everything out to see where everything is. You don't want to be completely one-dimensional in week one because you want to get everyone involved and get everybody experience in this year's um, season, right? So part of me thinks that he's not going to get 400 yards because of that, because they'll try to run the ball a little bit more. If anything, to just establish it, to uh, get the guys in rotation, to get people's feet wet, all those kind of things. And then I remember that Keaton Slovis had 297 in the first quarter last year against ASU, and now they're moving to a defense that's going to be less advantageous against the air raid. Yeah, give me the over. I, I, I feel <laughs> I, I feel bullish here, but give me the over. I think you're justified bullish on that. Uh, I think this. I I I really think that if it's under 400, it's probably better for USC because that means that. USC jumped out to a big lead, and they were able to just kill the clock in the second half. I, I think it depends. I it, think, maybe it's going to be what is the rushing total? If it's under, if it's under three hundred, and they only rush for fifty, then that's not. Then that's a problem, yes. right? But uh, if it's under three hundred, and they rush for two hundred, then that's a good thing. I think if all things go right, then Keaton's definitely going over four hundred. But he could get injured. Uh, things could go wrong. Uh, the rain could happen, so yeah, there's a lot of things that might no, make the this. The rain's not happening. I mean, it could happen, and uh, there are some things that could sabotage this number, but it would need to be sabotaged, it feels like. All right, all right, all right. Leads us into our last over-under. Mine. Over-under, 3.6 yards per carry for Arizona State. That seems extremely low, does it not? On the surface, three point six to average for a season, yes. For the game, when you when for you the, for a game. Oh uh, well, you've you've just looked ahead at my bullet points. No, I had look. I had seen earlier that they averaged under that. Yeah, you're, I, you're you're spoiling my bullet points Because I was shocked here. because they had Eno Benjamin and I, like I they should have been better running the ball. I agree. I agree. So three point over under three point six rush uh, yards per carry. Uh, for ASU against the Trojans is the over-under. Uh, this is because the Sun Devils ranked 119th last year with a 3.48 yards per carry average. They were 115th in rushing overall. This includes sack yardage, by the way. Um, the Sun Devils averages 2.24 yards per carry against SC last November. Again, they had Eno Benjamin. They should have been better than this. But and this was against a USC defense and this, that, that was wasn't with a that veteran, great. It was with a veteran at, offensive line, too. At, and USC's defense wasn't that great at stopping the run. Yeah. So, whew. So, 3.6. I, I put it at 3.6 because I feel like that 3.48 is still just low. It's, it's low to expect that. But this is the first game jitters for everybody. 3.6 is the line. So, what scares me is that Jaden Daniels can, like, turn that that d- d- turn it to the over, just with breaking off a, a nice long run, 
one nice long run. Um, we don't know what Todd Orlando's defense looks like in terms of preventing those big rushing plays that USC was giving up left and right last year. Was that a personnel thing or was it really a scheme thing? I, 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 I genuinely don't know at this point. So that that is so I I feel like I'm taking an, a literal shot in the dark making this pick. I'm going to go with the under, and that is out of pure respect for USC's pass rushers going up against an offensive line that's in the middle of being rebuilt. I think they have three new starters there. So I'm going to go, I'm going to bet on USC's defensive front and take the under, but this is my extremely low confidence pick because I I genuinely, I'm just, I'm just guessing. Okay, um, I'm glad you did because I kind of wanted the over there. Um, well, you're welcome. <laughs> I I don't have faith in ASU's offense to really produce at a high level this year. At the same point, at the same point, in week one, do I expect SC's rush defense to be um, strong? No, I, do, I really don't, especially when you didn't see it last year. Um, and this is a new defense. And I think the new defense can help for, for the better. And we know that Texas was very good against the run in 2017. So maybe it'll work from, from the jump period. But we got to see it to, to believe it. And I need to see it before I'm willing to, to risk an over-under here. So I'm glad you took the under to have more faith than I do. I, I again, I'm, I'm being, uh, un, I'm certainly uncertain on this one. But at the same time, you know, ASU wasn't that good at running the ball last year. And I certainly don't necessarily associate Boise State with a powerhouse rushing offense, although I just looked it up in 2019. They had 4.43 yards per carry. So maybe that's a mistake on my part. But uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how this plays out. All right. Uh, last over under is from our pal Dave in Orange County. Who says over or under forty two point five punts, uh, punting yards, on average for Ben Griffiths? My God, Ben Griffiths! I love the challenge that Dave and OC is putting out there with this one. Give me that over. I am just the, immediately taking the, it. The Griffinsance, the 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 Benessance is 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 happening in 2020. It's 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 his time. It's his time under Sean Snyder to get it to get it rocking. All right, he averaged 42 41.17 last year. So 42 and a half would be an improvement on that. I'll be in a small sample size. But uh I think the interesting thing is you look at games last year he averaged more than 42.5 against Cal, Colorado, Arizona, and that's it. Here's my thing. I think I'm going to take the under because in a one-game situation, that average could be literally anything. Because where's the punt coming from? Well, when he kicks one punt for fifty yards, I'm going to win the over/under. Sure, but what if <laughs> what if he's punting? What from if the he's 42? punting from the thirty? Yeah, from the forty-two, and and he's he's supposed to pin them deep. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, like 
that plus the chance maybe SC's offense, you know, it runs rampant and he doesn't punt at all, you know? All this, give me the under. If he doesn't punt at all, does that mean he punted zero? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Correct. Give me <laughs> the under. Go. All right. You got the under. All right. Uh, that's going to lead us into game predictions. Bill Connolly says USC is going to win this game 33-22 to 22 with his uh, metrics. Vegas says SC by 11. Same margin as Bill Connolly's numbers. Uh, the over-unders at 58 uh, after dropping... Uh, from 63 and a half where it originally opened. Uh, Alicia, what's your game prediction? You know it's getting late in the week on a USC game week when I sit here and say, I think USC is going to win this, and I think they're going to cover. I, I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Yeah, I'm going USC 39, Arizona 26 with my standard weird numbers. Don't know how they get to that, but... I think that's a uh, USC 39, Arizona 26, where Arizona makes it look a little closer. Arizona's in the next quarter. week. Arizona State. Arizona State. The Sun Devils. I would not bet that Arizona would put up 26 points. Arizona State, I'll give them that. Um, yeah, USC 39, ASU 26. USC is going to cover and win that game more than that total looks like in the end. Okay. All right. Uh, I am going to say SC 35, ASU 20. You're going with the cover, too. Yeah. With and the and cover it, as well. Yes, I, I, I got you. If, if we're talking about scoring drives, this would be 5-4. to four, um, In the sense that, you know, ASU two touchdowns and two field goals, SC five touchdowns. I, I look at this as I am more confident in SC's uh, offense. And when you look at the defense, I'm more confident in the changes that USC has than the changes that ASU is going through. ASU's personnel on defense, I want to believe in. I really do. I I really like Robertson and Butler in the middle. I love their DBs. I want to believe in them. I can't by going to the 4-3, especially against the air raid. And I look at this and I'm like, Logic says SC wins this game uh, semi-comfortably, even though it's going to be weird and tough. And the, here's the interesting thing. I, I put this down in both of us having have SC winning by double digits. And yet I think about it, how stupid are we when we look at this season? Again, in the COVID year that anything could happen, SC could lose by 20, and I don't think we sh- we should be shocked. Well, so, but like, literally anything can happen. SC... So, so take these predictions for what they are. Well, predictions are always what they are. But even uh, more so this year. Uh, my prediction, when I put out a game prediction, it is what I think USC should reasonably expect. And yes, it's hard to pin down what you should expect in a, in a, in a year that you should expect the unexpected, but... At this point, I'm going to judge USC by this. But first, but first, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna judge the defense by holding ASU to under 30 points, and I'm gonna judge USC's offense by getting up into the 40s range because I think they're capable of it. Yeah, they're absolutely capable. I think if SC is the team that we think that they could be, the the Pac-12 title contender and all that stuff. Then SC wins they, this game 45-24, right? Yes, and that's what they should be doing to set 
a to, to, to set the tone. Now, if they don't do that, I won't be shocked in the slightest because USC has had these problems for years. So it'll be more disappointing than anything, but not shocking. Uh, all right, let's get to the mailbag and wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, let's just go to a Slack message we got from Sean in Mid-City. As the late, great Bob Uecker said, in the classic film Major League, not as good as Major League 2, by the way, just going to throw that in there. Quote, a lot of people say you can tell how the season's going to go by the first hitter of the year. With that in mind, what is USC's first play from scrimmage and how does it go? Uh, I think USC's first play from scrimmage is a little curl route to Almond Ross St. Brown. I'm going to say it's an RPO, and it's either going to be a little slant in to, to um, Almond Ross, or it's going to be a handoff to Stephen Carr. I think that's probably a good handoff to Stephen Carr was going to be my second guess. All right. Uh, Sean, second question. If ASU beats SC, how much does that reset expectations for the remaining games on the schedule? Uh, It basically blows up all expectations. USC will have set the tone in entirely the wrong way and get ready for negative city for the next two months, which on Twitter, God, God help us all. On Twitter, absolutely. Twitter will blow up. Message boards will blow up. The rant line, 213-373-1872, will blow up. In reality, what does that loss look like? Yeah. What, what does it look like? I mean, if it's like an overtime loss. So here's, I, th- I think realistically, though, regardless of whether or not it's a good loss or a bad loss, in insofar as losses can be good or bad, uh, well, losses, <laughs> insofar as losses can be good, I think a loss resets any talk of playoff. Oh, 100%. And that's yes. the the bare playoffs. minimum. Don't talk about playoffs? You kidding me? A loss doesn't exclude USC from getting to the Pac-12 title game though. Right. So right. if it's a if it's a narrow loss, you still can vie for the 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 Pac-12 championship. Yeah, you're just going to have to hear about well, well we we don't control our own destiny, but we're going to try to and all that stuff and then Twitter will be up in arms. So get ready for that. Uh, Slack message from Top Trojan Fan. Who scores USC's first touchdown of the game? Of the season, really? Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to go with Tyler Vaughn's, but also I feel the need to, uh, to throw this out here because uh, this is some, some breaking news on, on Wednesday night. Urban Meyer, Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, Brady Quinn, and Rob Stone are all out of Big Noon kickoff with COVID this week. All of them? So Big Noon kickoff is basically not... Who's going to do Big Noon kickoff? More like Big Mask kickoff. Oh, here we go. They will have Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, Emmanuel Acho, and uh, Carissa Thompson hosting. Oh, I mean, okay. it's, uh, not that it changes anything for the game, but also that's this is occurring for the New York Post, by the way. Um, <laughs> this is le- what surprising news on uh, yeah coming hmm. into Thursday. Anyways, who's, who scores the first touchdown? I had Tyler Vaughn's. Tyler I think Keaton Slovis hits Tyler Vaughn's. I, I say it's Drake London. Yeah, that's a good guess. Look for him as a red zone target this year. Uh, top Trojan fans. Next question: How many TDs does Marquette Marquis step score against ASU? I think he scores an two eighty yard touchdowns 
on his only two touches to stop <laughs> I do not think Mikey Stepp will score a touchdown against ASU. Uh, I would love it if he did, but I, I just do not think he will get that much run. I think he might get one. You know, you never know. Yeah. Uh, Slack message from Trinice. Uh What new faces are you most excited to see this season? I don't know that we'll see anyone's faces. They'll be wearing masks. Well, <laughs> Brew McCoy is definitely the guy that I'm most excited to see in in the game, playing in the game. And, you know, there there are some other guys. Jude Wolf has gotten some good reviews in, in training camp so far. So he's not exactly a new face, but a newer face. Uh, as far as the freshmen go, you know, Garrett Bryan Jr., we'll see how, how involved he is. But there aren't a ton of freshmen who I think will need to, A, need to see playing time, or B, we want to see playing time. Like, I don't want to see any of the offensive line. Not because... I don't want to see them. I just do not have any interest in seeing them as true freshmen. I will be glad to see them emerge later on in their careers, but it would not speak well to the state of USC's offensive line if, if we see any freshmen. Yeah, the easy answer here is Brew McCoy. It's definitely Brew McCoy. That's the new face uh, that I, I think you'd want to see, um, especially in this offense and what he could do. Trinice's second question, given the lengthened prep time that came from COVID, what formerly injured players slash buried on the depth chart players are poised to have a standout year? Who? Um, it's a really good question. Is it Marquis Step? Like, I mean, if you, I don't yes. know that he'd be. He he was buried on the depth chart, so he qualifies in that sense. Yeah, but I, but again, he's still you know getting over the turf toe thing. Yeah. I, I don't know who it could be. I am very much struggling. No, it, the only Voorhees? Oh, but he wasn't buried on the depth chart. Oh, he was formerly right. injured. Okay, yeah. Like, I hesitate to say that Voorhees will have a breakout year, but I think Voorhees could have a good, perfectly good year coming back from injury. Um, Brew McCoy, formerly injured, theory, theoretically right. fits that mold. Uh, but if I wanted to go for real... Raven Scott? No, uh, Raylan Goforth. I don't know that I would classify him as buried, though. Well, he didn't really see any playing time last year because he was sort of third string. But he was a true freshman. Does that count as buried? Yeah, this is a very difficult question. It's a very difficult question. I don't think SC has anyone that fits. I I don't think that there's anyone that... If Ray Scott has a great season, he would would qualify I just can't imagine Raymond Scott... Getting in over Kanai Malga or Grayling Gohoforth or, you know, Palaianate or I mean, maybe he does. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, this is tough. See, you know who I think would have had a chance in this would be Munir McLean. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He would but, have a great. Somebody else? I'll give you one more. Dejan Benton. Okay. There you go. Dejan I like Benton. it. I, li- I, I like the, the pick. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, Trinice's last question. If you were dropping money for a cutout, what would yours look like? Um, I'm too cheap to drop the kind of money that but USC wants for were, the cutout. But if, if I were. had disposable income that I could just throw at a cutout, uh, mine would be me. In <laughs> uh, Yeah, but what are you doing? Like, how are you, you going to make it fun? I'd probably, like, the standard you go with, like, a fight on, like... Putting up a fight on or something like that. Um, See, I think you need to go classic Cheryl meltdown. I, I you know what? That's probably the most yes. realistic way. 
classic Cheryl meltdown with the full hold? with the full like hands on the top of the head like yes. pace, if I, if yeah. they could if they could have my cutout be pacing back and forth then that would give some real <laughs> realism there yeah maybe doing like the extending your arm out going like what are you blind <laughs> yeah exactly. frazzled would be the uh, the look I would be going for yes uh, Richard says, does the complete lack of fans over a whole season benefit or hurt USC? It benefits USC being able to go to Rice-Eccles and not have the fans. Uh, otherwise, I don't think it makes a huge difference because I don't, I don't think that the Coliseum is, is a stadium that... that it, the, the Coliseum is an advantage for SC because of the logistics. Unless... Not because of it being this raucous venue but it'll be interesting because this year could disprove that contention maybe usc's players do respond well to positive reinforcement even if it's not a full raucous crowd just the positive reinforcement of having a crowd there if they drop a bunch of home games maybe we'll have to reevaluate that yep richard says if the current covid situation continues to get worse and that causes issues for the Pac-12 preventing finishing in time for the playoffs. What are the chances of extending the season later on? I Okay, so I would say 0%. Because I think the Pac-12, by coming back in November, they have essentially concluded that the spring football thing is not going to happen. I don't think the spring football thing is going to happen for anyone save for like the Ivy League, right? Um, and you know, some of the F- FCS is going to do that. I think still like the, um, is it the, the SWAC and the MEAC are still going to be on in the, um, a lot of the HBCUs are going to be doing, um, a spring season. That's what the plan at least is at this point. Yeah. So like, I think while some schools, some D1 schools would be doing that, I don't think the PAC 12 would push back. Secondly, they're not going to get anyone's help in being, uh, allowed to push back because if you look at what the bowl games are the bowl game schedule they could have easily made things flexible um and put those bowl games in the middle of january or something and they're not so no one's being flexible to move back the bowl games or the championship games or anything like that i think if this season goes to hell in a handbasket because of covid then it just does so like this is the final what we what we've learned over the past few months is that the Pac-12 doesn't actively look ahead all that much, or at least to the degree that we would like them to. So I will say that it's very slim the idea of extending the season uh, for any reason, because that would mean going off script. And at this point, the Pac-12 is betting on finishing the season as planned, and I don't think they have any alternative plans in place which they would need to have in order to make that a viable option that's just sort of where i'm at on that unless they've learned from from the past where they had to have usc sort of poking them to to get them to get them going but, but would sc be poking them and say hey let's just reconvene in february i don't know no i because I, 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 so. I still think that there's enough people who did not want to play in the spring even if the spring was better than than you know even if the spring was a good alternative, people are have an aversion to the spring because it's the spring. So, I I, I can't imagine a, you know them re- reconvening back then or anything like that. 
Slack message from David Orange County. The closer we get to the game, the more I listen and read about the insane amount of time ASU coaches got with their players. Is this 11-point spread for USC ridiculous? I, I, I don't think so. I think SC's a better team on paper. I think SC's a better team in a lot of ways. If ASU wins this game, it's absolutely because they're going to be more prepared. 1,000%. Not to mention, the other argument here is ASU plays a ton of freaking close games. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good argument to have the, the spread close because for some reason, every single game they play is decided by something in the fourth quarter. So to give them credit, that absolutely would be a reason to have the, the, the spread closer. But again, I think when you look at what SC has coming back, when you look at what SC, uh, ASU lost in terms of production, even though their offense wasn't a world-beater offense last year, they still lost one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, they still lost one of the best receivers in the country. They still lost four starting offensive linemen. On an offensive line that wasn't even that great, they lost four guys and have to replace them. What does that mean for this year? You know, I think the 11 points is fine. I think that it's telling that Bill Connolly's numbers are exactly the same as the the Vegas right. line. That that gives me more confidence in that in that line. Yeah. And I I I get the discomfort that a lot of us have with that line because it does feel big for a game that we're all touting as, you know, one of the biggest of the season for USC, but ASU and we've said this going back for a long time now. The paper doesn't like ASU. The the metrics don't like ASU. PFF doesn't like ASU. S&P Plus doesn't like ASU. Vegas has their own uh, sort of statistical models that they rely on. They don't like ASU. And for as much praise as Herm Edwards has rightly gotten for what he's done with the Sun Devils, I think you, Michael, have pointed out on a few occasions that he hasn't really achieved anything more than what he inherited than Graham, yeah. than Graham. Um, this program is at the same level Graham, it was under Todd, under Graham. Todd Graham. So, so we might be looking at ASU viewing them as a potentially tough opponent based on the perception that Todd, that, 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 uh, that Herm Edwards has, has overachieved there when in fact he's, he he hasn't really done anything to warrant the respect that we give him in that sense. He's overachieved the extremely low expectations that everyone gave him. Yes. But, but he was inheriting an ASU program right. that we talked about. Why are they firing Todd Graham? Correct. So yes. he wasn't inheriting a dumpster fire. Correct. He He brought ASU to the same level they've been at. We all expected them to just be horrible with with him when they hired him. And we were wrong about that, but he just has kept them at the same level. He hasn't improved ASU. Um, and, and the other point I would say here is this is one of two of USC's toughest games on the schedule. We all agree, right? But if Alabama and Oregon and Notre Dame and Cal were on the schedule, yeah, would we say that an 11-point you know, spread is that big? I don't know. I, I think that... Looking at it, we know that this is going to be the second smallest spread that SC faces this year. I would imagine that the Utah spread is going to be single digits, but this one is going to be the everyone other than this one is going to be bigger. Yeah, at and, least two touchdowns, you imagine. Yeah, so when you look at it in that sense, I can understand the reluctancy. But again, 
ASU is the toughest game on the schedule, arguably, because there's no Oregon, there's no Notre Dame, there's no Cal, there's no Stanford. Like, the the teams that we knew that were going to give SC problems are off the schedule. So, yeah. I don't I don't have any problem with it uh, at all. It just reaffirms for me that if USC doesn't win this game, it's because USC came up deficient somewhere. Because there's a reason Connolly and Vegas and everybody thinks USC should should roll. Yeah, we'll see what happens on Saturday morning in the Coliseum at 9 a.m. on Big Fox uh, with an NFL crew, apparently, uh, leading them in into the uh, big noon kickoff. Uh, as always, give us your calls, 213-373-1872. That is the phone number. Call us during the game, after the game, before the game, whenever. Let us know what you are thinking about. Let us know what you are feeling about this football game. And this year, the first time we're allowing everybody to play over under, and it's going to be a blast. Check out the show notes here in your podcast catcher or wherever you're listening to this or on Twitter, or in our Slack channel if you're a member of the Rock Crew, and check out uh, the over-under form. Fill it out, pick your overs and your unders and what have you, and see how you can do as you compete against us. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, We'll be back on Saturday with a car cast, the first car cast of the season after the Trojans and Sun Devils play their game at the Coliseum. Lisa, you got a final word? The final word is rain, as in, please, please don't rain. I know, it won't, it won't rain, for real. (sighs) All right, Uh, for Evan Desai, thank you, and for Alicia, this is Michael. We'll see you next time, see ya. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.